Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. And we're still seeing it quite well through that haze. The fight is growing. E equals MC. That all men are created equal. About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Finding Your Frequency. I am your host, Ryan Treasure, and we got a great show for you guys today. You know, there's... Uh, been this thing that's been going on for a long time. I don't know if you guys, you know, are paying attention, but this uh, this virus, this COVID-19 thing that's been going around, I don't know if you guys have been noticing for the past 16 months. I sure hope you have. Uh, but it's, you know, it's put a strain on supply chains. It's put a strain on economies. It's put a strain on uh, businesses, employment, all sorts of different things that have been, uh, you know, really, really difficult from a business perspective and as well as a personal perspective when you're, you know, like myself, dealing with an only child who's at home doing uh, online school. Uh, all that stuff is just, uh, you you know, tough and, and making adjustments. And, you know, in one of our last shows, uh, uh, we talked to uh, Dr. Mindy and we talked about how leadership is changing amid uh, COVID and some of those kind of things. But um, I wanted to kind of get a little bit more into some of the science and some of the different stuff that's behind uh, some of these vaccines that are out there. And, you know, some uh, uh, maybe 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 talk about some of uh, people's apprehensions and different things there um, and also some of the technology that's leveraged. And so um, we're going to talk a little bit about biotech and uh, biotech is to pharma as the silicon chip is to the computer. Although, as you know, car manufacturers are having a hard time getting these chips for their cars right now. Uh, but biotech drives the engine of pharma and 70% uh, of all drugs in the pharma pipeline come from biotechnology companies. Uh, and so biotechnology enterprises are nearly never profitable, explains uh, Dr. Jeremy Levin, who will be our guest today. He's the founder and CEO of Ovid Therapeutics and the immediate former chairman of the Global Biotechnology Innovation Organization. And I wanna just read a quick quote, just like oil Oil or gas field explorers who search endless miles of uncharted terrain for hidden reserves, biotech companies spend billions of dollars in research of a viable medicine. So I want to welcome to the show Dr. Jeremy Levin. Doctor, welcome to the show. Ryan, it's a pleasure to be with you today. So, you know, I think before we, you know, get into, you know, some of these topics around uh, public health and biotech and how biotech has helped with vaccinations and some of those kind of things, you know, I, I want to stay true to the nature of the show of finding your frequency and kind of just back up a little bit and allow you the opportunity to kind of tell us, you know, how you found your frequency in business and life and, you know, how did you end up in, in, in biotech and how did you end up in, in these spaces? And then, of course, I know that in 2020, you released a book called Biotech in the time of COVID-19. Uh, but, but, but what, what led up to all of this, uh, you know, biotech stuff that you're doing now? Um, because obviously, I, unless you were, you know, uh, like only, only a handful of my guests, nobody at 10, 12 years old says, I'm going to work in the biotech industry. Now I have had a couple of hosts that came on and said, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And they knew they were going to do that by when they were like 10 and 12 years old. And that's what they did. Uh, and that's really awesome. But let's, hear uh, Dr. Jeremy Levin's story about how you found your frequency in life and in business and how you got where you are. 
Ryan, it's a it's a long and complicated and unusual story. We're I'm a refugee three times, and always dreamt about coming to the United States as the great nation, the greatest nation in the world. And I felt that when we fled South Africa in the time of racism, we fled again Zimbabwe in the time of racism there again. We actually ended up finally going through Israel and then the United Kingdom, where I was educated as a doctor. And uh, one day I was running a trial with a, a medicine made out of the venom of a of a viper. Actually, it's a true venom. It was worked. It was worked by Bristol-Myers Group, and it was a thing called captopril. And what it did was it lowered your blood pressure. And it was the first ever time that there was a medicine like that, never before been seen. And I administered it on a clinical trial to this one patient, and he nearly died. Oof. The drug was new, his blood pressure fell through his feet, and we were there desperately trying to save his life, and we did. But the, the point about that was, in a, I realized at that moment, if you give somebody a medicine, you forever change their life. And so, as a doctor, I said, it's time to go to the US and to join the most innovative areas of science. And that was what was going on in the biotech industry, which was just emerging at that stage in the late 80s. Very, very few companies, most of the pharmaceuticals, large giant companies dismissed these as irrelevant companies. They basically were trying to find how genes worked, how you could find a protein in the body that could change your life. And they were looking for real cures. They weren't looking for things that would just uh, basically keep your blood pressure down, change, keep you a little bit better. They were looking for real cures. And this was a very exciting moment in the late 90s, the late 80s, actually. So I, the, the moment came when I saw that patient. And that made one thing for sure in my life, that my life is one devoted to what I call the covenant with a patient. You are devoted completely to fixing them. It doesn't matter how you do it. And if when you find a medicine, you're responsible for knowing that medicine works and works well. Wow, that's very interesting. And uh, you know, I, th I think that's that's good too. And 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 very uh, you know high level leadership kind of on your part when you talk about you know how you care for a patient and making sure that you know you go to no ends to try to make sure that you you find a way to get them the uh, you know the the help that they that they need for their their medical situation and you know um, I'm I'm really a hardware computer kind of technology person and so when you think biotech. Um, you know, for me, you know, I'm thinking endless hours in the lab with petri dishes and micro uh, uh, and microscopes, right? I mean, uh, kind of give us a, a day in the life of Jeremy Levin as it relates to biotech and kind of, you know, how you guys are going about, you know, um, like I said in the quote earlier, you know, how how you're how you're exploring to search um, for viable medicines and kind of like, you know, what what uh, technologies in the biotech side have you guys been working? Working on over the last let's say you know 15 to 20 years that's you know new and different to the way that things have been created vaccine wise or medicine wise from let's say you know the polio vaccine or uh, some of those older vaccines what kind of technology are you guys working on now Wow such a great question and the evolution is almost infinite but let, let's try and package this in a way that 
people can really understand it. Just imagine for a minute as a, as a scientist that you're going in every day to the lab. Somebody's got to pay you. You leave your kids at home, you drive there, you get to the lab, you run your experiment, and it fails. And you do it again the next day and the next day and the next day. Because biology is not like engineering. You can't design a drug. You have to delve in. You have to discover. Just like drilling in the ground looking for oil, you don't know where to drill. You don't know how to look for it. Mm. So you've got to run these experiments repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And just imagine what it means to the individual to fail every day. Because that's what they do. The overwhelming bulk of what they do is a failure. And then one day, something happens. You see your result and it says, boy, that could be something. Well, here's the statistics. It's terrifying. It's just daunting when you think about it. If you have 10 drugs, 10 things that look like they could be a drug, of those 10, at best, one, once you've got that thing into a human being, at best, one will make it through to being a drug. In fact, the statistics are significantly lower. If you, have, if you try a medicine on an individual, on a patient, and you know that it doesn't harm them, but you know it does something, and now you run it through the stages of what are called development, really outlined by what is required by the FDA and the other regulatory authorities, your chances of getting a medicine out of this are real small. So you start out failing, you find something, and thousands of people launch into this. They launch into experiments, and they fail, and they fail, and they fail, and they find something. And then guess what? As you walk down the road of clinically developing it to a real drug, you fail again. And at the last minute, what's called phase three. That's the phase that you, if you complete this, you will get a drug and that will take, you'll be able to submit to the FDA. No more than one in three of these actually make it through. So the day in the life is a day in the life where you have to have imagination. You have to have incredible persistence. And I think the, you know, epitomized by the wonderful phrase, the poet Ella Wheeler Wilcox, who says, there's no chance, no destiny, no fate that can circumvent or hinder or control the firm resolve of a determined soul. The biotech industry is full of determined soul. And so you have to be, because you have to be optimistic that you can find something. And they do. And that's what you now asked, what was it like mm -hmm. 20, 30, 40 years ago? It wasn't like this. At all. What you had were individual scientists and companies finding something and then working on it for years. They weren't really very, they were interesting medicines. They weren't, they were things like Zantac, things that stopped you having ulcers. Um, you know, you, you basically got to a position where you had very straightforward types of medicine, brilliant discoveries, brilliant discoveries, but you didn't have a system for doing it. Mm. Today, it's completely different. We think about drugs as not just things, pills that you take into your mouth. The vast majority of those today are what are called generic. They're not, you get them, 90% of all prescriptions in the United States come from these generic drugs. They were the ones discovered 30 years ago. But what's happened in the biotech industry, a small percentage of these drugs were discovered. They are 
proteins. They're things that you have to inject into your blood. You can't take it by mouth. You may do in the future. We may find a way of doing it, but you can't do that. Others are medicines that you have to package in a, a little globule of fat, and these are called liposomes, and you inject them in cancer drug. Others are, in fact, you, we've learned to train human cells to produce uh, and to stimulate the human immune system to attack cancer. So there's a whole slew of drugs wow. now which are in cancer, which galvanize your body's defense against, uh, against cancer. This is something that didn't exist 10, 15 years ago. It exists now because of these multitude of failures that have occurred over the last 30 years and huge sums of money is poured in. So it's a very different world today. Yeah, that's and then, of course, sorry. I was going to say, that's interesting, too. When, you, know, you talk about cancer. That hits home a little bit for me just because, you know, um, my father passed away from cancer when I was 15 years old. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm 40 years old now. Um, and, you know, back in, in the 90s when he passed away, it wasn't there, there were no real other treatments other than, you know, hey, let's go get radiated. Right. Or, or, or let's do chemotherapy. And, you know, and ultimately, sometimes I think about that, you know, maybe the chemotherapy and radiation may even be worse for you than the cancer. Um, and so knowing that people are working on, you know, different ways and mechanisms to, um, you know, attack cancer cells and figure out a way to deal with them in a better environment than, you know, basically, you know, the, the way that we have now with radiation and chemotherapy. Um, because that was a rough thing for me to watch as a kid, right? You know, to to mm. watch watch your six foot four, two hundred and forty pound, you know, father who was a green beret in the army, you know, just shrivel up into a tiny man with no hair, and you know, be in constant pain, and and you know, knowing that there's doctors that are out there and and scientists that are really working hard on on those is 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 good to hear because I would I would I would I would hope that in time people won't have to deal with what i had to deal with when i was 15 right because of uh, advances in biotech boy that's a tough story um no you are quite correct what happened in actually far too late for your father tragically was that in 2006 the world of cancer treatment changed what happened at that moment was a company called medarex there's a man called nils lonsberg in that company he was asking the question, why can't I, why do cancer cells hide from the white blood cells that you've got in your body? He was asking that question and he kept on digging in. There were a number of other scientists who worked with him and they found a way of really lifting the veil and really showing you where, showing the white cells of your body where that cancer was. And that allowed the body then to turn on a pivot and start to attack the cancer cell by itself without any of these terribly toxic drugs, without irradiation. And so in 2006, 7, 8, 9, honestly, there were only 10 trials, that's clinical trials in this area. 10 years later, just 10 years, a short 10 years later, there were 2,500 trials. That's half of all the clinical trials in the United States. Half of all the research was being poured into this way of galvanizing the white cell to fight against the uh, these cancer cells. And I believe firmly, like you, as we continue those experiments, we will come to the point, we're not yet there, where in fact you can vaccinate against your cancer and it becomes a chronic disease 
you won't be dying from that terribly or no a child won't experience a terrible event that you did but that's to come isn't yet here yeah yeah but it's good to know that that stuff is kind of on the horizon and you know you think about you know excuse me you think about the current state of affairs right now with um you know the COVID 19 vaccines and you know some of those different things um and and there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy because i think people don't you know quite understand the technology of mrna and you know some of those different things because like i had never even heard of mrna until covid right um you know and then i'm looking at some of your material and some of your material talks about you know uh uh, people working with mrna for you know many many years prior to you know these vaccines that we have now so i kind of want to talk a little bit about that because um you know, there's, you know, quite a few individuals in the United States now that are fully vaccinated. Uh, and then you have some people that, you know, are anti-vax or anti-this-vax, which is, <laughs> right? Um, and then you have somebody like me who's kind of in the middle, right? Uh, I had a conversation with my doctor and uh, I have a history of heart disease in my family. And so my doctor told me to hold off on taking the vaccine for right now until they had a little bit more information because she was concerned about possible heart inflammation. And so I'm currently not vaccinated. However, a lot of the people that I know are vaccinated. Um, And so and a lot of people I know are really scared about it because they feel like, you know, how can you create a vaccine in like 15 months or, or 12 months or whatever the case may be? But I think when you think about it, you know, from a from a logistical component, at least in my brain, like if you have a world pandemic that's going on, I figure like every scientist and biotech company on the planet just stops what they're doing. Right. (laughs) And starts working on some kind of vaccine for COVID. So you have, you know, a bunch of other, you know, uh, treatments and different things that were being worked on that probably aren't being worked on right now as people are really focusing on COVID-19. So can you kind of give us an idea of how how biotech is impacting um, COVID-19, which I think goes um, right along with the book that you wrote in 2020, Biotechnology in the Time of COVID-19. But um, I just, I, I, I'm really interested in kind of understanding, um, you know, how biotech helped, uh, you know, pharma to get some of those things out there and i know you've had um you've had conversations you know with the heads of uh, pfizer and uh, uh and and other companies that have been working on there so i just like to hear your take on the whole thing uh as far as you know how the vaccine was created and uh what what uh, uh you you got what your guys's role was in helping with some of those to uh to create these vaccines that are out now all right this is one of those moments where the great misfortune for you, me, and every single person in the globe, actually, was that for some remarkable reason, the idea of vaccination became a political issue. If you go back to January of 2020, I was in Thailand, actually. I was, and there was nobody there. People were wearing masks. There were no tourists. It was empty. I went to Cambodia. Nobody. They were terrified. They knew something was coming. I got on a plane. I flew back to the United States with my wife. And we had what we thought was going to be a dream holiday. It wasn't. We carried back with us the knowledge that sweeping towards America was a pandemic. We get here. 
I'm the chairman of the Biotechnology Industry Organization, the organization that represents about a thousand biotech companies. And we call the White House and say, guys, we need to mobilize. Mm -hmm. The response was immediate. There is no pandemic. It will never come to America. There is no problem. This was January of 2020. It was already, and, and I, I think it was already here in, Jan, in January. It was in the West. It was in the West Coast. Absolutely. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Nothing to worry about, we were told. Yeah, and that's actually, we took a, that's funny that you bring that up because um, my wife and myself and my daughter got violently ill in January of 2020. You know, like, you know, it's it's winter time here in Phoenix. And so it's kind of like flu season, you know, and like so I'm, I'm thinking I have the flu, but I've never had any kind of flu like we had. And I mean, my daughter had one hundred and five temperature. We were all out for I was out of work for almost a month. Right. And so wow. after all this gets done and then end of January 2020 and then all this new stuff starts coming out in early February of 2020 about this pandemic, my wife and I got to talking about, well, I'm like, man, maybe we are, maybe we got that, uh, you know, in, in early January. And I never went and did the antibody test just because I'm, I guess I'm a little lazy, but <laughs> uh, I probably, I probably should have gone and done that because I would at least th let me know what was going on. But so you're what you're telling me that is in in 2020 in January 2020 as you were traveling uh, at in different parts of the country or different parts of the world, uh, some of those places in the world had some kind of idea of something that was going on, something that was happening. You got back to the states, you talked to the White House, being the chairman, and they basically said, "I don't know what you're talking about. That's not happening." That's correct. And so what we did. We said, wait a second, this is not the case. We know something's coming. We can see this. At that stage, we had reports coming in from the West Coast. Mm -hmm. We phoned the CDC, and then we mobilized the industry. Now, you should know that in January of that year, there were no programs, not a single one on COVID in the industry. But by bringing everybody together, bringing the biotech companies together, they did exactly what you said. They said, you know what? This is coming. Let's get going. Between January of last year to today, there were 800 programs, a fully half of all the programs that exist in the industry became COVID focused. It was astonishing. You had tens and tens of companies. You had 300 new approaches to vaccines, 300 new approaches to new medicines, another couple hundred trying out old useless drugs to see if they actually could work. And by the way, not one of them did, except finally we found that a steroid could stop inflammation. But the, the vaccines, your story about the vaccines is very important because nobody would dreamt that we would be able to develop a vaccine as rapidly as we could except the biotech companies because they knew that for better than 30 years a body of information had built up that body of information was what kind of genes do these kinds of virus have how do you grow those genes how do you make a vaccine out of them we'd assembled all that information but it took about 30 years and at the moment that people decided that this was the time to go after them, you had at least six different approaches to vaccines, at least. A couple of these were fairly traditional, good vaccines, 
produce, for example, like J&J. J&J used a very similar kind of approach to what they use for Shingrex. That's the vaccine you use for shingles. Mm -hmm. It's very similar. You had AstraZeneca using a very, very, very tried and tested 30, 40-year-old vaccine approach. And then you had Moderna and Pfizer and BioNTech who said, you know what? That is an old style. That is something that won't allow us to attack this virus again and again. We've now got this huge amount of information about how we can use this thing called mRNA. We're going to develop a vaccine out of it. And with very little instigation from the government, they set about doing it. Now, some of them, like Moderna, did get money from the government, but others didn't. They invested their money and they went at it. Where the government played a really magnificent role was to galvanize at the level of the FDA. That's the body that actually says, have you done the right tests to allow us to assess, is this a vaccine or a drug? And the FDA, the way you ask the question, how could you speed it up like this? Well, think about it this way. If you have, if you manufacture a car by hand, it's a great automobile, right? Great automobile. Yep. But it takes you a long time to assemble it. Now, that's the way most drugs were assembled and most people worked with the FDA. Slow, methodical, beautifully done together. However, Toyota figured out how to do this on a mass marketing, on a mass production. They figured out how to use robotics. They figured out how to make things go faster so that the same automobile that would take several years to build by hand could be built in a couple months in a factory that was automated. This is exactly what happened with the vaccines. It wasn't that we did anything different. It's just that you figured out how to automate things, how to get rid of the redundant things that were done, so that at the end, when you presented the FDA the data, the FDA knew the safety data was excellent, they knew that the drug was effective, and they could therefore move forward to approve it. This wasn't something that, there were no shortcuts taken, there were no uh, anomalous things done. This was just simply figuring out how you go from a hand built to something that is basically robotically built. So would you say like the AstraZeneca and J&J ones, were those hand built? Or were they- They're much, much, they are speeding up the hand built kind. Yes, very much more like that. Now, um, and so based off of clinical trials, though, those particular vaccines are not as effective as Moderna and Pfizer. Is that correct? That is correct. I want to pause for just a second and reach out to all the digital leaders out there. How would it feel to not only know what your customer is experiencing, but how many others are experiencing this also? I think it's about time that we put our customers at the center of our decisions and get ahead with real time insights way before a code freeze. It may be beach weather outside, but for retailers, the holiday season has already started. 2021 holiday e-commerce sales are expected to exceed the 2020 benchmarks. Is your company prepared to capture every customer's revenue opportunity? With Quantum Metric, you can be. Their unique approach to the digital customer experience helps today's top retailers and e-commerce brands quickly identify and prioritize the big and small revenue opportunities that keep customers engaged and coming back. Stay off the naughty list with Santa this holiday season and reduce that customer friction, increasing conversions. You all know we got to have those conversions. 
And at the same time, personalizing the shopping experience. You guys want a sneak peek? Visit us at quantummetrics.com slash pod offer and see if you can qualify to receive our 12 days of insights offer with code frequency. This gives you a 12 day access to the cloud platform coupled with a bespoke insight report that will help you identify where customers are struggling or engaging in your digital product. Some restrictions apply. I want to make sure you guys check it out. 12 days of insights. Go get a sneak peek. Visit quantummetrics.com slash pod offer. Yeah, I notice I have some friends uh, who live in India, and it seems like the AstraZeneca thing is what's been going around India um, from what I'm hearing. And so is there ever a correlation where, you know, one would get, you know, uh, uh, one of the more traditional like AstraZeneca's or J&J's in conjunction with mRNA? Is that something that has been tested or is there, you know, any any, you know, logicalness to that? Well, a couple of things. First of all, when we talk about not as good as, let's just be very clear. They're pretty darn good. <laughs> they work. There's no no question about it. They work as well as many of the traditional vaccines. Now, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines work 95% plus. That's a whole different area of, of expertise. So they both work. There's no doubt of that. But if you look at the old, the the mixing and matching that hasn't yet happened because in this country, we have approved the Pfizer vaccine, we've approved the uh, Moderna vaccine, and we have got the J&J. We don't have the AstraZeneca here, mm-hmm. but there will come a moment where patients who have had the, the J&J will get a another shot, just like you do with other vaccines, whereas you, you have a repeat shot that keeps you immune. And it's likely that we'll know somebody who's had the Pfizer shot will have had a, a Moderna shot, and somebody who's had a Moderna shot will have a Pfizer shot. Almost certainly, the data will tease out. Right now, we know, and there are several examples of anecdotally, that people who've had a J&J shot have subsequently had two uh, Moderna shots, and they appear to be just fine. They are fighting off the virus left, right, and center. So we don't you need to be data driven on this. You can't play with these things. You need to have large bodies of evidence that said, okay, I've had my vaccine. I'm now going to have a third vaccine, which we call a booster. The FDA is likely to approve that. That third vaccine will simply supplement and you know, boost your ability to your immune system. And we don't yet know whether or not giving a Moderna to a Pfizer previously vaccinated patient is better or a Pfizer to a Moderna previously vaccinated. Just don't know that. We will know that. Well, it's kind of, I feel like it. it's, you know, when you, when you look at COVID, I, I feel like, you know, uh, like it's not going to go away, you know, almost like the, like the flu. You know, uh, the flu kind of mutates every year. And so you, you generally take a flu shot every year, right? Um, I don't, I, 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 <laughs> having a flu shot, I don't, I've never even known what kind of flu shot it is. You just go get your flu shot, right? Uh, I don't know who it comes from or who it's made by. Um, you know, and so I kind of feel like that as time goes on, well, you know, maybe society gets to a point where, you know, you're just, you're getting your flu shot and your, and your COVID shot once a year. 
um, or something like that. Um, because these types of viruses, I mean, and you would know more about this than I would. Um, but I mean, they, you know, we, we talk about these different variants that are coming out and, and some of those different things. I know that here in Arizona, we had a huge spike in Delta variant stuff that was going on. Um, can you explain a little bit about that? Because I think there's some common misconceptions and people may not quite understand, you know, uh, what a variant is or how a variant occurs. You bet. So let's start with a couple of things. First of all, you are right. COVID is here to stay. But this is, like you said, it's like the flu. How do we know that? Well, we can look back 100 years ago to the great flu pandemic of uh, 1918. In that period of time, you had a terrible pandemic, killed tens and tens and tens of millions of people. The belief is today that the flu that we have here is the echo of that pandemic the descendants, the great, 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 great grand virus <laughs> of that particular pandemic. And we deal with it. We deal with it every year. We've done that. Now, what is in today we have coronavirus. We didn't have this kind of a virus. We've not we've had similar viruses, but not the same. Well is is, a virus, is, is the is the flu and like the common cold a a version of a coronavirus is the I've I've heard I, 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 a different kind of virus. It's a different kind of virus, okay, okay. basically. But what you have here in the normal virus has a way of protecting itself. It adapts to the to the environment it's in, and it adapts to its environment by having a natural ability to mutate its genes. That natural ability allows it to change. It's basically a shapeshifter. Have you ever heard in science fiction about a shapeshifter? Oh, yeah. This is a shapeshifter. This is a shapeshifter. What it does basically is the more you allow it to infect people, the more you allow it to spread, the more shapeshifters you get. It's as simple as that. These are the variants. They have a different gene. They look a little different, and they behave a lot different. So Delta has this, has unfortunately, because the virus has been uncontrolled because we've let pockets of it occur all around the world, and it has basically shapeshifted. It's turned into something different from the original version of coronavirus. And what it is, it's much more infectious, and it can overload your lungs, and if you're not vaccinated, that overload can be deadly. And the unfortunate fact is that if we keep on allowing pockets of substantial numbers of people infected to exist, that shape-shifting is going to go on. The real danger, Ryan, the real danger, is not just that it becomes more infective, but that it becomes more deadly. And that's something we don't want. And those, and this is why I think it's so important to have as many people vaccinated as you possibly can, and at the same time to continue with the preventative met approaches of masks and social distancing. Because if you don't do this, what we are seeing today is going to look like child's play. And I mean that. You're, the real risk is that this virus, the Delta virus or a cousin of the Delta virus or a descendant of the Delta virus takes advantage of all of those that it's infecting to change it to something much more deadly. And we don't want that. That we don't want. 
Well, and I mean, that's probably why we come out with different variants of the flu shot every year based off of, you know, what people are being infected by and, you know, changes are made to the vaccine. I mean, because we've had, you know, a whole bunch of weird different kind of flus. We've had like the pig flu and the and the, and the avian flu and, you know, uh, all that. Well, I think well, H1N1 was the pig flu, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. But we've had all these different flu variants, you know, and, and people go get vaccinated for those different flu variants. So that way, you know, hopefully they don't get sick and um, but this virus is very much different than the flu, right? And in, in the fact that um, yeah, this is not the flu. This is not the flu. And you know, early on in January, February, people were saying, "Ah, oh, it's just like the flu; it'll go away; it won't be a problem." And you know, it's not a big deal. Well, remember, the flu killed in the United States approximately forty, fifty thousand people per year. In the year that we've had this disorder. We've had 600,000 going on 700,000 dead. I'm not sure those people who tried to promulgate this idea that this was just the flu and it's no big deal were had any compassion, any understanding of what they were facing. This was like saying, oh, you know what? I'm going to go to war. I'm going to take with me a straw and a pea shooter. And I got it. I'm fine. The other guys, yeah, they've got tanks and guns, but I'm just fine. That is about as ignorant as you get. And I'm afraid that we faced ignorance, politicization, and I can't think of a, a more forceful word for this. It allowed the greatest nation in the world to become subject to a tiny little invisible virus, and we should never have allowed that. Yeah, I and I totally understand where you're coming from, and I'm and like I told you in the beginning, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of in the middle, right? My, I had told you earlier, my doctor told me to wait on taking a a, a virus and a, a vaccine for now, um, because of the possibility of some heart stuff. Um, but I think about it all the time. I think about the safety of my family and my daughter and, you know, all, all the different things. And, you know, my kid's going to school now, which she wasn't last year. You know, the schools are open and, um, you know, are we? they do have a mat. They do wear masks. And so, you know, that makes me feel a little bit better. And, you know, when, uh, when, when I finally found a stockpile of KN95s, I bought as many of them as I could, right? Because I know those ones are the most effective, uh, uh, right, for, for just your every, everyday average Joe. Uh, for for a mask, at least that's what I've I've read, and so um, you know just trying to keep everybody safe, and 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 I think it's just been kind of scary because you're right, everything's been so politicized and so you know um, just just kind of I don't know backdoor and hidden and and uh, I think. I think the marketing too that's been coming out for the vaccine hasn't really been up to snuff in my opinion as well. I mean, if you're trying to get people to take a vaccine, we need, you know, information and, you know, uh, public service announcements and, and more of those kind of things. But I, I do have to agree. There's one thing that I really, I don't agree with just from the standpoint of being an American is somebody mandating to me what I have to do. You know, and I know that 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 that's what really makes this such a political component is, 
um, you know, companies that are, are mandating it. Um, I was in the military, so I kind of understand with the military thing. It's like when you're in the military, you don't really have a choice on what they vaccinate you with. Because I remember when I was going to boot camp, I walked down a line in the in the in the uh, in the infirmary area, and I have no idea what the heck they shot me up with. <laughs> you just walk down the line and get all kinds of immunizations and vaccines and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I just I, I do I, I do have concern from like a you know American and we're all free and you know you have the you know people who are all about my body my choice but at the same time they're also mandating they want to mandate vaccines and so i don't know i uh i know that you think that it's critical and responsible um but just that that's kind of my feeling how do we quell that you won't quell it you know unfortunately there are people who are taking advantage of the statement, I, very few people in the United States have lived in a nation that isn't free. Okay, I have. I know what that means. This business of it, I am an American and I want to be free. This is actually a misuse of a really wonderful and incredible ability that we have in this nation. We have the right and the ability to vote. That's freedom. We can say what we like. That's freedom. You have the ability to travel from one side of this country to another. That's freedom. You have the ability to go to the church you want, the worship what you want to. Those are freedoms. When you're talking about something that's an infectious disease, let's ask a different question. Do you have the right not to take a vaccine when by taking it, by not taking it, you might be infected and then infect your neighbor who actually doesn't want the virus, but you are acting as a, a, essentially as a missile against them. Is that freedom? No, you're violating the rights of the other person. Just imagine for one minute, for one minute, imagine we had smallpox, a deadly disease sweeping across the nation. I'm just imagine that people said, I'm not taking the vaccine. This is about freedom. Do you know what's the next step? The next step is barricading towns to prevent people coming in. Now, if you don't think that that didn't happen, take a look at Gunnison County in the time of the great pandemic. They had no defenses. What did Gunnison County do? They stopped people coming in. Talk about freedom. This was cowboy town. Gunnison County is Calwa. I know it real well. It leads to the great ski center of Crested Butte. It's beautiful. They blocked the roads. They said, you want to, you cross that, you go to, you will be put in a stockade. They never had the flu because that was their defense. They said, we are going to defend ourselves against this invisible monster. Today, the modern version of that is, excuse me, Stop that monster, but get the vaccine and prevent your neighbor getting the disease. Because if you're not doing that, you're not a vent, you're not actually defending American freedoms. You're actually defeating American freedoms. You are actually impinging on your neighbor. And that's why I don't, unfortunately, there's so much disinformation on this. There's so much politicization of this. We've lost sight of the fact that virus jumps from one person to another. And by not faxing yourself, you're turning yourself into a missile. 
Well, that's very well said, and I appreciate your take on that. And, you know, I think that that's very important information that you're putting out there. It's very direct, right? And um, I, I would implore people to listen to Dr. Levin and, and internalize that and obviously, you know, make the decision that's best for you. Talk to your doctors, right? And uh, go, go do what you got to do. Um, yeah, and I've never been, you know, say vaccine hesitant so much as I just, you know, I'm, I listen to my doctor um, and... I don't know. I just, I just think that, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I'm still stuck in the middle on, on mandates, but I do understand where you're coming from and you do make a very valid point as it relates to, um, you know, uh, those people that are unvaccinated, you know, being the catalyst and carriers and possible uh, hotels for uh, mutations, right? Also for the virus too, right? If you're unvaccinated. Um, you bet. It's a, it's a great term you just used. You become a mutation hotel. <laughs> Another way of looking at it, we don't like the Taliban. We don't like the Bekaa Valley. Why? Because the people, they let bad things happen in those places. And the fact of the matter is you don't want to give a essentially a secure environment for the virus to do its thing, to become a shapeshifter, to mutate, to change. You don't want to do that. Now, there are certain circumstances where the, you might have a condition which says, hey, listen, I can't take that vaccine because I've got X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And then you need the data to show, well, it's safe or it isn't safe. And if it isn't safe, then you can take the precautions that are useful to you and important to you. But you do need to have the data, and that's critical. And we, we will have this data, for sure, for most, most people with other conditions. Yeah, where where would be a good resource for people to find out information? Like, let's say they have, you know, a family history of, like I said, I have a family history of heart disease. Um, my, my grandfather died from uh, heart disease and emphysema. And um, so where, where, what's a good resource for people to go to to look at information as it relates to, you know, the Pfizer, Moderna or J&J &J vaccines and how, you know, um, they impacted other people with pre-existing conditions of sorts like uh, or, 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 or things that are part of their family history. Um, so that way they can make a, a properly informed decision. Great question. Number one, each one of these companies is obliged, obliged to publish exactly what they know about the side effects, and they do. So each one of the companies has their own website. I would go to them. I would read it in depth. And of course, at the end of the day, then sit down and discuss what you read with the doctor. Because it's not about what you read on the internet. It's not about somebody's secondhand information. It's not about somebody's distorted interpretation. It's about the smart people who've gone to the website, read it, taken that information, gone back to their doc and say, hey, look, I saw this. What does it mean? And does it tell me, does it give me the window to go and have a vaccine or does it not? Now, if the doctor says, look, I'm a little uncertain, the answer is real simple call the company. Simple. Get the doctor to call that company and say, I want to know what data you have about patients with X. Mm -hmm. And the companies will be very free with that information. They must be. That is what their obligations are. I wouldn't listen to Facebook. I wouldn't listen to any of these uh, 
out there, whatever it is, there, there are all sorts of people with an agenda. The companies do know this now. Remember, these are the guys who nobody said, go and do this. They stood up and did it. So, and I, and I appreciate that because that's good information. Um, and as, as, I, as I think about vaccines and I think about, you know, pharmaceutical companies and, you know, obviously pharmaceutical companies are, uh, you know, somebody's paying the pharmaceutical companies to generate and create and manufacture these vaccines. Um, right. But I know that, like, I, I don't I don't have to go pay for a vaccine. Right. I can go to, you know, one of the vaccine sites and go get vaccinated and it doesn't cost me anything. But no other vaccine that is is available is free so that's i think part of the you know stigma when you you think about people who don't want to get vaccinated right in their mind they're saying well well they're giving it away for free so if it's free it's got to be bad <laughs> right have you have you have you heard that argument i've heard that but i have to say i sit there scratching my head and say let me get this straight the government has used your tax dollars not theirs, it's yours and mine to cut contracts with these companies to guarantee to buy vaccines, which they then distribute and we get for free. But it didn't come free. It came from our tax dollars that we use to buy and make contracts. Now, you don't have the same, obviously, with measles vaccines and other things. Those vaccines cost you a little bit, insurance pays for it. But the bottom line is you have had to pay in your health insurance for coverage of your family. Mm -hmm. This one is real different. This is where the government has actually stepped up to the plate and put contracts in place so that these companies knew that when they developed the vaccines, they wouldn't be left holding a bag with saying, now you have to go and figure out how the insurance companies are going to pay for this. We have one of the most complicated systems of paying for medicines in the world. And boy, uh, here you have, you walk into the pharmacy and you've got no out of pocket, nothing. Now just imagine if that same thing happened with heart drugs, with cancer, nothing out of your pocket. Would you be saying that they don't, they're not good drugs? I guarantee you we'd be saying, thank heavens, we're not having to pay a copay. I guarantee you, but I have heard the story, you're right. Just because you have to pay for it doesn't mean it's, it's good. Yeah, and like I said, I just these are all things, right, that I've talked to friends about, uh, things that I've read, things that, um, you know, I've heard through third parties on the way that kind of people are feeling. And I felt, you know, if I have Dr. Levitt on the show, who what better person to ask some of these questions to kind of, you know, maybe set into motion um, a knowledge base of information so people can can go and do what they need to do. And, and, I, and, I, and like I said, I still I, I go back to the marketing of this stuff, you know, like why why not why is the government not going hey we used your tax dollars to make this so that way it's just cut and dry clear and you know because that's not something that's you know part of the psas you know these psas you hear i work in radio right uh, so uh we have psas that play that talk about getting vaccinated and getting back to normal and being able to hang out with your friends and all these kind of things and and that's all well and good but there's people like me and other people who like i i'm really analytical i want to know where did the money come from to finance this how safe is it where 
do I get the information for that kind of stuff? And there's not a lot of that that's going on in the marketing efforts. It's more this, you know, uh, I got a jingle that's playing in the background and this young lady who's a millennial is talking about how awesome it's going to be that she can go hang out with her friends and they can go have dinner and they're going to go watch a movie and, you know, all these different things about getting back to a normal life, um, which is all well and good for that type of marketing. But, you know, there are some of us that are a little bit older than that particular uh, demographic and, you know, we would just want more information. <laughs> well, you, you, you know, you, you bring up an incredibly important point. We lost the information war on this in March of last year when suddenly the government was putting out nonsense. Hydroxychloroquine works against this. Rubbish, complete rubbish. Instead of saying, you know what? Let's invest some serious money here. Let's put together, let's galvanize the entire communications system of this great nation to teach people about what we, the government, are doing. Mm -hmm. how we're actually going to bring this to you. Now, if you imagine fighting a war, just imagine you could see every virus and it's busy flying over you, throwing rockets at you. You'd want the government to be jolly well there telling you, okay, where's my where's my missiles to knock those rockets down? Yeah, we, have, knock we, have, we have 53 F-16s in the air. We got these defenses, you know, these missiles are flying at us. This is exactly what we're doing to stop them. And this is what you can do to be safe. That's exactly right. Build yourself a shelter. You guys, you, the guys of you, we know we've got somebody coming over the border in California. You guys in Arizona need to get your arms and get ready to fight them. That kind of stuff right. would be normal. Here we've got an invisible enemy, completely invisible. And guess what? It basically guts us. We're sitting here saying, oh, I'm sorry. Let all this misinformation go out there because we, the government, don't want anybody to know that there's a problem. Excuse me, how many people had to stop working? How many kids stayed at home from school? We don't have a problem? This is ridiculous. That's, I mean, yeah, I honestly, I lived too long in COVID where COVID-19 almost absolutely destroyed the small business economy in the United States. So for somebody to, to somebody to sit there and be like, hey, we don't have a problem is just, excuse my French, asinine. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. And you know what? That's the kind of behavior that you have in dictatorships. That's the kind of things where you have, like China, you can't have a problem. We don't have a problem. We're not telling you about it. And by the way, you can't move out of your house. Now, the same thing happens in Russia, where you have nations that actually disseminate rubbish, false information, because they want to suppress their people. This is not this is not what America is about. America could have galvanized to give us that information and it to wind it back to get rid of all of the misinformation from 2020 is impossible. You simply can't do it. Yeah. We have these young kids dying in Florida, in Texas. You have in Arkansas, tragic, horrible tragedies where you have these kids of 30 years old, 20 years old dying. This is not right. We should never have got this, never. And the reason was they were told there wasn't a problem. Can you imagine going into a battlefield? You were a soldier going into a battlefield and everybody saying, you know what? Don't worry about those bullets. They're just fine. Stand up. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I don't want to stand up. Dr. Levin, thank you so much for being on the show today. 
it's a it's a pleasure ride. Anytime. I want to remind I want to remind everybody too out there to go uh, go check out the book that you put out uh, in 2020, uh, biotechnology in the time of COVID 19. Uh, I'm sure you can probably find that on Amazon and anywhere that books are sold. Correct. You can indeed. Wonderful, wonderful. We appreciate your time and thank you for bringing some insight because, you know, like I said, I've A, been a little on the fence. B, I've talked to my doctor. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, you've given me information enough that I'm going to kind of go back and, and, and revisit some stuff with my doc and see if now is the time because I don't want to be I don't want to be a mutation hotel. I can tell you that right now. You, you coined a new phrase and I have to say it's probably <laughs> one of the best I've had. It's a mutation hotel. It's a great one. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time, Ryan. Thank you for being on. Ladies and gentlemen, you're tuned in to Finding Your Frequency right here on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Uh, If you're listening on your favorite podcast software, please make sure to give us five stars because we're five-star human beings. And of course, uh, drop us a review. Let us know how we're doing on the show. And if you have any guests that you'd like us to have on or talk about some specific topics, shoot us an email, info at voiceamerica.com. I want to thank you all for tuning in right here, Finding a Frequency Friday. I'm Ryan Treasure. Thanks for tuning in. And have a great day.